Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Azure. This episode is sponsored by ScriptRunner. ScriptRunner is a great solution to centrally manage PowerShell scripts and standardize and automate ID tasks via a graphical user interface for help desk or end users. You can check that out on scriptrunner.com. My name is Tobias Zimmergren, and I'm back again with Yuzi Reune. What's up? Hey, Tobias. I'm flying to Frankfurt before my summer holidays uh, to spend time with friends. And I think we'll have a chance to visit a few wineries, like, like local wineries. And I wanted to play this safe. And I opted to fly one day ahead before we are scheduled to meet close to Frankfurt. So now I realize I have the flights, but now I realize that I have about 30 hours of no plans, no obligations while in Frankfurt. And I'm unsure, what do people normally do when they are, are alone in a big city? So my backup plan is to bring my laptop, find a Starbucks, and put in a solid day of work while they're on holidays. <laughs> but, but now I'm sort of anxiously trying to find something to do in Frankfurt. I've been there multiple times, but always just taking the taxi or train to the hotel, be there for a couple of days for an event, then head back home. And I've never really spent time to get to know the city. But I still have a couple of more weeks to go before I need to be there. And I'm hopeful I'll, I'll come up with something. Yeah, I, th I think that sounds nice. And I, I know we talked a lot about that in the past. Um, you know, you've been to a lot of conferences. I've been to a lot of conferences. And a lot of people we, we know, we meet up at conferences. And we often talk about how many places we've seen and we have this luxury and privilege in, in our industry to be able to travel across the globe to these different events. And it usually comes down to exactly this. Well, I've been here, I've been there, I've been here and there. And someone asks, so what did you see? Well, the coffee shop, the hotel room, and the lounge at the airport. Yep. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I went to these three big cities, but I, I didn't actually see them. So I, I think... You know, it depends on what you want to do with your time. If you want to, if you have a lot to do, then just sit, like you say, in a Starbucks and, and get something done. Uh, if you do have time, just go to the uh, to the local tourist office or go online to a tourist website and say what to do in Frankfurt, and then you'll get a, a plethora of options. But knowing myself, I would probably do the easy thing and just find my hotel, uh, you know, put my bags there, possibly go downtown, have some good lunch, some food, uh, yeah, pull up my laptop and get some things done. Exactly. Uh, at least for me, I, I enjoy company. So if I'm by myself, I can spend my time with my laptop. If I'm with other people, I put the laptop down and I do social activities. Speaking of doing things on your own, one thing I do on my own at home, because I'm the only one with this cultivated interest, is tomatoes, herbs, cucumbers, and spices and all the things. Anything that you can eat, I'm growing that at home. So now they're exploding in my greenhouse and my garden. So I have a lot of tomatoes. I think so far I've picked 60 tomatoes and it's only the beginning of June. I planted everything in the greenhouse from seed in February and I've cultivated them since and replanted a couple of times. What I really like now is the automated watering solution that I think I talked about a couple of times before means I can now spend more time on managing the actual plants you know, picking the weeds, cutting the right branches off and things like that to optimize the growth of the plant while watering just happens because they need a lot of water. And with these, you know, automatic uh, watering systems that goes twice a day, it just keeps dripping water into all the pots and, and all the areas where my plants are, I don't have to think about it. 
Now, the next project here inside of the greenhouse will be a mist control where I can automatically start a mist a few times per day, hopefully when nobody's in there, to ensure that I keep the leaves and everything moist because it can be pretty hot, hot inside of the greenhouse. And even with all the hatches and doors open, it's really hot in there. So this will keep things humid and it also keeps a lot of the bugs and the, you know, the lice who will otherwise eat the leaves and the, and the veggies uh, will keep those out. So, uh, so I think that's going to be my next thing. And I am quite possibly thinking of connecting this to some kind of smart device. So I have a motion sensor inside of the greenhouse. So if there has been anyone in the greenhouse in the last five minutes or any motion inside of the greenhouse in the last five minutes, put an automatic postpone event for the mist control for 30 minutes. Because if you go inside and you have a cup of coffee and you just sit and read a book, you don't want this thing to go off just because you're sitting still. So I want it fully automated, but I, and I don't ever want to think about it. At the same time, I don't want to get wet when I'm sitting there reading a book or doing something else. So hopefully I can find a way to do that. And I think with the Grove Pie and the Raspberry Pi and all the things I have going on there, uh, it's going to be an easy way to figure that out with a motion sensor, uh, which just sends a signal. And then the mist control just looks into, it's going to be operated by, by a, a relay, which is running through my code. And the code checks, is there an event in the last X minutes uh, for motion inside of this area? No? Okay, start the mist. If there is, postpone. Next time you check, maybe 10 minutes later, has there been motion in the last X minutes? Yes or no? And then you make a decision based on that. Super simple, not really any type of AI, just conditional logic. But it should save me or anyone else from being attacked by a mist if they do enter the, uh, the greenhouse. Uh, the thing I guess I can't control is if the mist is already spraying and you enter, I don't think it will stop because all the mist itself will create a lot of motion with the leaves and everything going on. So I don't think I can stop it unless I put a button, of course, so I can have an IoT wireless button on the inside of the greenhouse. Anyway, that's what I've been up to last week. I know I talked about building an outdoor shower. Now I'm talking about building a mist control in my greenhouse, still outside. I'm getting a lot of energy and excitement about thinking about these things. It's, it's really fun. Uh, but yeah, that, that's about it for me. One thing that you can use, and, and here's a quick solution for you, that if the mist is already spraying, but somebody opens the door, you can have one of those wireless uh, IoT uh, moisture sensors on the door because those detect vibration from the door. So if there's a certain amount of vibration on the door, you can easily stop whatever else is happening at the same time. And, and obviously... If the door is already open, though, and the mist starts, then you don't get that. So. True, true. But then you get the historical data that the door was open. So you can sort of say, yeah, let's not start that. But again, the, the solution here is to keep on adding more gadgets. That's always the solution. Yeah. <laughs> Find so, reasons to buy stuff. Indeed. So today, Azure updates. And we do this frequently. We take a look at what's new in Azure, what's been announced. And obviously now after Microsoft Build, uh, we already did go through the interesting bits from Build. But beyond that, uh, we had to wait a couple of weeks to actually get worthwhile updates to talk about. So Toby, which one do you want to start with first? 
So I, I have a couple of things on my mind, not that many. One thing that I, I want to mention is something that just went into GA. So this is now generally available with full support. It's a storage optimized Azure VMs for higher performance. And I'm mentioning this because I have operated a lot of these things. I've been in a lot of online discussions with people who wanted better performance in their storage for their VMs, myself included. So this is well-suited for high-throughput, uh, high IOPS, SQL and NoSQL databases, distributed file systems. You know, If you do data analytics and, and you run data analytics engines and things like that. So now they launched the LSV3 and LASV3. So the LSV3, it's a third-generation Intel Xeon processor, which is an Ice Lake uh, with hyper-threaded configuration. And the LASV3 uh, VM series features the third-generation AMD Epic, uh, which is the Milan processor in a multi-threaded configuration. Now, of course, that's a, a lot of buzzwords and, and tech mumbo-jumbo, but if you're looking at high-performance storage connected to your Azure VMs, take a look at the LSV3 and LASV3 uh, VM series and see if those can fit your needs. In the past, I know I needed something like that. Uh, we ran a lot of analytics, a lot of crunching of data. And in doing so, we spent a lot of time writing things, temporary files to disks. We're talking about hundreds of millions of files, hundreds of millions of transactions. And in the hosted VM options we used, we couldn't really get the performance we wanted because we did so many things. Today, we have since moved on from the temporary file storage solutions. Uh, but I know that if you do run a distributed file system, if you do run a data analytics engine or something like this, or if you run your SQL server or any type of NoSQL database on a VM that you manage and that you run yourself, there's going to be a lot of file IO and, and IOPS uh, requirements. So at least something to look into if you have those requirements. The storage optimized Azure VMs for higher performance, the LSV3 and LASV3. That's my first pick. It's an interesting one for sure. And I've long ago sort of lost track on the different virtual machine families. Um, back in the day, it was easy. You had A and D and, and G, and that was mostly it. But now there's just too many to keep track of. Um, on my list, this is something which is still in development, so this is not quite ready yet, but the public preview should be available sometime in the next couple of weeks. And in development, Dynatrace for Azure. So Dynatrace, which is a separate cloud-based service, will natively integrate with Azure. And I've seen the name, but I've never used this. Are you, Toby, are you familiar with Dynatrace? Are you exposed to that? Seen it, heard it, never used it, no. So I, I did have a quick look at dynatrace.com slash platform. So it's an application and infrastructure monitoring platform, essentially. So they have support for applications and microservices application security, digital experience, business analytics, and cloud automation. So, so they sort of have all the buzzwords in there, like DevSecOps and BizDevOps and everything else. And they do have native support for AWS and, and Google Cloud and so on, but now also finally for Azure. 
So the promise is that once you enable this, you can provision whatever you need in Dynatrace Cloud, and then you can use Azure Portal to, to utilize and use any of those capabilities. No mentioning of pricing. So I did have a quick look at the Dynatrace pricing and, and it sort of is fairly clean. So, so there's a fixed fee per host per feature. Like if you want to do full stack monitoring, it's $74 a month per host. Infrastructure is $22 a month per host and so on. So in, in that sense, obviously there will be extra cost, but if you're invested in Dynatrace, now you get the clean integration back to Azure. You get single sign-on. You can possibly also utilize other Azure capabilities now for Dynatrace in the future. All right. Never used it, um, but this is good to know. If I do ever come across a, a usage of this, then then this is good to know that this is now in, in, in development. Uh, so hopefully this will be then available soon. The next thing on my list is something also in GA. It's already available. Uh, there are some enhancements to the Azure Web Application Firewall. Now, just to iterate there, the Azure Web Application Firewall, or WAF, is a cloud-native self-managed security service, and it brings protection to your application and APIs running in Azure, or anywhere else for that matter. And I know that in March 29, and I think we talked about this, they had a go-live date of managed default rule set 2.0, which then had anomaly scoring, bot manager 1.0, and security reports on the global WAF. And I say the global WAF because we're going to, some of these things are for the regional WAF. And the difference here, just to reiterate the global WAF versus the regional WAF is the global is Azure Web Application Firewall that attaches to Azure Front Door, the modern CDN, if you will, to provide global app acceleration and an intelligent security at scale. So the Azure WAF stops the security attacks at the network edge closer to the source of attack. And they have, of course, hundreds of edge locations around the world on the Microsoft side. And the regional WAF is when you use Azure Web Application Firewall that attaches to Azure Application Gateway, like the web app regional load balancer running inside of your VNet. So it manages traffic for both internal and external websites and provides app protection in over 60 Azure regions worldwide. So there's the global WAF and the regional WAF. At the end of the day, it's still a web application firewall. It's just where it's running and where it's attaching to. So if you're attaching it to the to the front or the or the uh, app gateway. Now the announcement that just happened is that they have some additional features also in the regional on the regional WAF. So there's now a reduced false positive with core result set 3.2 or CRS 3.2 with integrated Azure App Gateway. And the older CRS 229 will be phased out. And I'm mentioning these numbers because I know if you work with a web application firewall, you have come across these uh, different rule sets and set up policies and work with those things. So just know that the 2.2.9 uh, core rule set will be phased out and you should start using the core rule set 3.2. And doing that, you also have improved performance and scale with the next generation WAF engine, uh, which is also released together with the CRS 3.2. Uh, you have an increased size limit on regional WAF for body inspection and things like that, how much 
data that you can you can process and how big the objects can be. And uh, there's advanced customization with per rule exclusion and uh, attributes by name support on regional WAF stuff like this. There are enhancements with native consistent experience with the WAF policy. So new deployments of app gateway version two of the WAF SKU now natively utilizes WAF policies instead of config, right? So if you had an, an older version, you used the config or the default configuration experience. Now uh, you can rely on the native WAF policy or the web application firewall policy instead. And finally, you have some advanced analytics capabilities with the new Azure Monitor metrics on the regional WAF. So the regional WAF is connected to your Azure Monitor and you will get to see some data in there as well. So that's it for that update. Uh, some enhancements to the Azure Web Application Firewall. Uh, I think these are well worth knowing, especially that the uh, rule set 2.2.9 uh, will be phased out and you should start looking at 3.2 instead. And in doing so, you also know now that there are some enhancements to the regional WAF. So if you set this up anew, ensure that you're using the latest rule set and also know about the capabilities now for the regional WAF if you decide to go that route. And of course, that's a different topic and different discussion. We can do at any point where we talk about the different decision trees, how to end up on the global versus the regional one. But that's the update. Um, a couple of functional updates to the uh, to the regional WAF. I, I like the updates for sure. And, and I'm mostly exposed to regional WAFs myself. So I, I really need to take that for a spin. Next on my list, this is in public preview, Azure Synapse Link for SQL. I think I've mentioned Azure Synapse Link for Dataverse, perhaps six months ago. And this is in preview now for SQL. And, and this is definitely something that I feel I will be using in the future. So what this allows you to do is it allows you to pull data from a SQL database. So this could be running on SQL Server or Azure SQL. So you can, in near real time, you can pull all of the data in the database to Azure Synapse Analytics. And in there you have the SQL pools, which then allow you to do analysis on the data, like reports and and, and ETL jobs and anything you want you would like to do with operational data, but not in the in the production environment. So this is not a backup, it's more of a let's do a replication in real time to a different place where we can then tinker with the data and do analytics using Azure Synapse Analytics. And the Dataverse one allows you to pull data from Dataverse. This one allows you to pull data from SQL. All right, that's also good to know. I haven't used that a lot, Azure Synapse, but definitely on the radar to, to take a look at. And the next thing on my side is a preview feature also relating to the Azure Web App Firewall so you can now manage Azure Web App Firewall policies in Azure Firewall Manager. So you have this place in Azure Portal called Azure Firewall Manager, and, and that supports now the Azure Web Application Firewall or the Azure WAF policies for application delivery platforms like Azure Front Door and Azure App Gateway, like we just mentioned in the previous update I said. Uh, so the benefits of that is you get central deployment and configuration where you can deploy and configure your multiple WAF policies. You can secure Azure Front Door Application Gateway 
with WAF policies at scale. So not per instance, but a bit easier to manage that. Uh, you can app upgrade from legacy WAF configuration to WAF policies on your app gateways from this place, which is also convenient. Uh, you can view all application delivery platforms in a single place. And we talk about this a lot, like a single pane of glass and and like having a, a single place to, to get a, an overview of everything. So here you will then gain visibility of all the deployments across regions and across subscriptions, which again is very convenient. And you can manage your overall network security posture. So kind of adopting the zero trust principles by managing WAF, DDoS, and Azure Firewall in a central location. So that's pretty cool. This is in preview, short update, but it relates to the previous update that I mentioned. So to, to iterate preview feature, manage Azure web application firewall policies from inside the Azure firewall manager to enable management of these things at a bigger scale. I've had a couple of projects where we were thinking about using the Azure firewall manager, but the last time I checked the price was quite steep just to get started with that one. I can't recall how much it was, but it was high enough that we opted not not to use this. But this is also something that I that I feel I need to take up for a spin. Next on my list, and this is generally available, landing zone accelerator for Azure Arc enabled Kubernetes. And what this means, it's essentially a bunch of documentations and guidance and perhaps some scripts to get you started to building perhaps a locally hosted Kubernetes, something outside Azure that you're managing and securing with Azure Arc. So this is sort of the best practices on how do you build this. I took this for a spin before it was actually a landing zone accelerator. It was more of a, well, this is technically possible. I think that was in 2021. And I did spend a couple of evenings just to get this up and running. And it was very flaky in that sense. So now it seems it's more polished. And if you take a look at the documentation, it, it nicely goes to the identity aspect, the access management, the networking, governance, uh, how do you manage, how do you automate, how do you do CICD and GitOps, and how do you manage cost for something like this? So there's a lot of moving parts, obviously, because there's Kubernetes, there's a hybrid approach, there's Azure Arc, there's Azure, there's firewalls, there's traffic, all sorts of things happening in here. So if this is something you're planning on building, definitely have a look at the landing zone accelerator now, because this has the wisdom on how do you actually get this up and running and how do you operate this successfully? All right, that's interesting. Um, I might actually take a look at that. I know we talked about landing zones and, and accelerators in the past episodes as well. So I, I have a couple of use cases for that. I think we might revisit landing zones and accelerators as a topic soon as well after we, we dive into that a little bit in our real business use cases. On my end, the final update that I have for today is in GA, it's generally available right now. Microsoft Artifact Registry has a new portal experience. And you know Microsoft Container Registry and also known as Microsoft Artifact Registry, this is the primary registry for all Microsoft published container images that you pull down for your workloads. So Microsoft just announced the new Microsoft Artifact Registry website. And with that update, you can browse the Microsoft Artifacts and Container Images on their site. 
and, and they keep their partnership with Docker. And I think this is important to mention because this is what confused me. Like, are they moving now from Docker Hub or what's happening, right? Because I use Docker Hub to search for the images, even if they were hosted on the MCR or the Microsoft Container Registry, uh, as it was uh, called. Uh, I still use Docker Hub to search for them because it was a lot easier. Uh, so the registry website, which is now live, is mcr.microsoft.com. So MCR for Microsoft Container Registry, but the new name then is Microsoft Artifact Registry. So you just go to mcr.microsoft.com, super easy. Then you can browse it. But there is some room for improvements here. There's no filters or navigation on the site at all. There's one big search box, and you cannot filter the search results. On the other hand, there's only five pages of images in the catalog, so it doesn't take too much time to browse through and understand what's on offer there. So I'm not sure what the end game here is with the Microsoft Art Artifact Registry, if there is like a plan for this being a central point of discovery or if it's just to have a public website listing the container images so you know that they're from a trusted source or what the idea is. Because right now I'm still finding myself going to Docker Hub to search for the images. When I find them, then I can look up the info on the MCR if I want. But the experience of, of discovering things there is perhaps a little bit limited. So I, I think it's, number one, perhaps not about discoverability, but more about trust, verifying that this image is hosted on a Microsoft domain. It is hosted, there's a website, mcr.microsoft.com, that actually tells you what this image is about. So if you do find it on Docker Hub, you can still go to the website on mcr.microsoft.com to verify that this is indeed the, the image you're looking for and that it is produced officially by Microsoft. So I think it's a, it's a good idea in the, in the trust exercise to, to exercise trust with people that this is actually a public image from Microsoft. So super small update, but it confused me a bit because Docker Hub still exists and I'm using that but they don't compete in that sense. The images are still hosted on Microsoft and by, produced by Microsoft, but you can still discover them from Docker Hub if you want. I, I had a look at the mcr.microsoft.com just now because I, I haven't visited there. And the, the, the first project listed on, 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 on the page is something called Project Acoustics Baked Tools. And it, it's a library for doing doing a virtual and surround sounds in games. I have no use for this, but just as I was about to close the tab, there's the usual support and license and whatnot. But the last paragraph of the license says, if you want a copy of the source code in this container, you may send a check or money order for US $5, including the product name, uh, to Microsoft. So you get a copy. Okay. And now I'm inclined to find a $5 bill <laughs> to, to yeah, send try, to Redmond <laughs> asking, I'd like a copy of the source code, please. Wow. Nice. I'm not sure what they would do, but perhaps if we ever visit Redmond in the future, I will keep the $5 and, and made it from there uh, to see what they come up with. Do I get a printout or a USB stick or an email or something else? We'll, we'll keep this in the back burner. Let's see how it goes. All righty. So those were all the updates we had. The last thing is the unexpected question. And, and last week, Toby, I think I asked you. So this week, it will be your turn to ask me the unexpected question. 
Okay, I, I think I have a good one here. Um, <laughs> and I, I have a lot of interesting answers to this one, but um, I'm going to leave that to you today. What would be the coolest animal to scale up to the size of a horse? I can honestly say I've, I've never thought about this. <laughs> really? Uh, so, so coolest, uh, it would have to be something that you wouldn't be afraid of. So no spiders or snakes or anything like this. What I'm thinking is it would have to be a dog. And why a dog? Because my four-year-old, he's sort of terrified, but also fascinated with dogs. And we don't, we don't, have, we don't have dogs ourselves. So if you have a friend visit over with a dog, my four-year-old simply just vanishes and, and, and is afraid to come and meet and greet the dog, even if, if they're often super friendly. So it would be nice to have a super friendly dog scale it up to the size of a horse and then see what the four-year-old thinks. Would it be more <laughs> terrifying or would it be fun? Uh, yeah, it might not have the effect you desire, I think. If, if it's a horse-sized dog and you're already afraid of dogs... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, would not perhaps land well, but what what would you choose here? Because I know my answer is a bit boring, but it's practical at the same time. I don't know. I just imagine just imagine a, a horse sized duck walking around town, quacking, <laughs> looking for bread. I don't know. I just I have a lot of other interesting angles that I will take too long to elaborate on why I am thinking about that. Uh, so I I would say probably a duck or something like this. Because seeing a horse-sized duck just walking around, strolling down the street, quacking, looking for a pond to sit in, or just imagine seeing a horse-sized duck sitting in the pond next to all the other small ducks, and it's just looking for bread or something to eat, and it's just quacking. But when it's quacking, it's the, it's the, the level of that sound is so loud that it sounds like a, a, you know, a, a citywide alarm something like this. So when it quacks, everyone in the city will know that there's a, a huge duck quacking in the pond. Indeed, that would be terrifying, but interesting at the same time. All righty. Thank you for joining us again on Azure Updates, and we hope you join us next week as well. Bye-bye. All right. See you then.